0: Well, good Monday evening. Good to see you guys. It's 7 o'clock. Do you know what time it is on Monday night at 7 (laughs) o'clock? Well, uh, I'm going to have to reword that sign. I know. Zach tells me about that, too. Immediately. The sign says
1: 730. And... We probably
0: have a customer right now. Yeah, last
1: well, oh, week we had one. Yeah. one. Hey, yeah, that's right, we did.
0: Hey! How's it going, what do you say? Alright, well we are in verse 7 tonight. Ephesians 1, verse 7. And what we have seen so far is that we've been called and chosen to holiness. And uh, we have sonship. We've been adopted. And to the ultimate point to where we praise the glory of God's grace and we find out that there's something even greater is the way that we found out last week. Actually, I think we actually hit the summit when we realized that we're here to praise God's great grace, His glorious grace. That's our highest destiny. That is the peak. That's the ultimate for uh, us as Christians. But then we saw at the end of verse 6 which is a pretty incredible statement as he said uh, he made us accepted in the Beloved. It means we're loved by the Father just like the Son is loved by him. He loves us as he loves the Son himself. And we looked at some verses and uh, just tried to grasp a little bit of what that means and uh, to be brought into the family of God and to see how God loves each one of us. Uh so, uh so vital to know, isn't it? And uh, recognize that this is all a part of his grand plan. So as we move into um, verse 7 tonight, which is really uh, another magnificent statement, and you would say, oh, well, we hit the summit. It's just downhill from here then, I guess, isn't it? Well, we looked at the first six verses, which really dealt with who? The Father. So now we're going to look at it from the idea of the Son, and He is going to be the matter here that we deal with. It's going to be Christ, and then we'll look at the Holy Spirit in verse 13 and 14 when we get to that, but a magnificent statement here. So we'll just kind of go up this great summit again as we look at Christ, and just get glimpses, we are taking our time, we're stopping, we're gazing at each one of these grand doctrines. And uh, the one we're at tonight uh, is so magnificent in that it summarizes really what the gospel is about. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We come face to face with this heart of the gospel this whole idea of redemption. So we stop, take a glimpse, and just gaze. We are not uh, trying to fly by on this incredible chapter. Uh, I think we're dealing with monumental terms here. Now, this doctrine here is, is grandiose, but uh, as we look at this grand doctrine, we also recognize that this calls for holy living. So we just don't look at doctrine, but what we'll, we'll see is Ephesians... Goes on; it'll show us how to put that into our lives. But it is if you if you concentrate on who God is and what His teaching and His doctrine is, then that's how we can base how we live. We're in a transition here, and that's that's why I say the the focus is now on the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we see what the Father has done, and now we'll be looking at Christ uh, and His work. Uh, What what was going to be God's method as He would bring these elect people, the ones He chose, like uh, verse 4 mentions, to bring those elect people into that reality? Well, it's to make... What's going to make that relationship happen? He did this in a plan before the foundation of the world, but sometime in space and matter, it took place. And that's through the person of Christ. The word is redemption. That's the key word uh, tonight that we'll be looking at. He had to redeem us because we were in bondage. And uh, if He did that, it meant He purchased us to bring us into His family. So, redemption, it's the key word. I don't know if there's any other comparable scripture in the Bible maybe except for maybe Romans three twenty four twenty five twenty six 25, 26 that deals with this fantastic statement of redemption. There are a lot of verses constantly all over scripture about redemption, but uh one grand statement in the way that it's made, uh it's it's hard to to mount up over this text here. Is the significance of redemption and here and what it means is is really incredible. To, to bring His elect into the inheritance that He has for the future in them. He comes and redeems them through His Son. He buys them. He must purchase them. And so we look at that concept. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we give You honor and praise and glory for the sense of what You have done. What an incredible thought it is as we have focused on the Father's plan and we see it and that was put in action by the person of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit you have taken people that were in bondage to sin and totally changed them to be a part of your family. And how incredible... How fantastic, how awesome it is that we look at that and just dwell upon it, keeping our minds focused on that because you get all the glory when we are doing that. In Jesus' name, amen. The concept of redemption. Let's uh, let's read that verse 7 again after we have seen what He's done in the great plan and then went all the way up to the max. Went all the way up to the summit of the mountain where he says, It's to the praise of the glory of his grace, the glory of his grace, by which he made us. That grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. He loves us like he likes the, loves the sun, and, and we have been placed in to the sun, in, in Christ. That's the whole point. Now, with that thought in the beloved, he focuses on Christ and he says in him how often do you see two words in him in Christ in Christ that's what qualifies uh, our standing our position in Christ and uh, you'll see that over and over paul just uses it in all of his letters his epistles are filled with in Christ and that's that's where it's at in him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. A lot of big terms there. Redemption, blood, forgiveness, riches of His grace. Um, Let's take a theological definition just to start with redemption is an act of God it's an act by which he himself pays a ransom price he pays it and because his holiness had been outraged it has to be judged but yet he's going to come and make the payment you can see how God initiates all of salvation doesn't he you can see how he is in control of this whole thing uh... The word for redemption, I have it on your sheets there. Apolutrosis is the word, and the idea is to pay a price for. To uh, redeem is to let one go free, on receiving the price. When somebody has paid the price, then you let them go, and that's what is happening here. This is uh, Lutrosis is dealing with a loosening, or letting go. Apo is away from. To let. So literally, it means in the Greek to let go away from. Uh, He he let us go out of that bondage of sin and the price was paid uh, it's a releasing affected by the payment of this uh, ransom it's a deliverance it's a liberation and so when you think of a liberation you're thinking of what was the circumstance beforehand bondage now a liberation happens and it's because a payment of a ransom made. so basically it's deliverance by the payment of a price payment's been made. If we were to take other words in the New Testament, it'll give us even a better picture and that's that's the exact word that is used here in Ephesians and um, in other places you'll see it uh, the word redemption in other words, but they mean something a little bit different but not much. <laughs> Slightly different. And if you put them all together, you can see the whole story of it. There's another word that is called uh, agorazo. And I'm going to leave it right there. Agora. And a lot of you probably know what that word is. Agora. Agoraphobia. What is that? Fear of the marketplace. The fear of going to a store, right? Okay. Uh the agora is the marketplace. And so if we take this to what it meant, it meant to go to a marketplace and buy something. Uh, so to buy in the marketplace. So what that means is we had to be bought. And this is going to imply that we are what? We're slaves. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. And we, we get this concept, especially uh, by the Apostle Paul. Constantly. And I think of Romans. Romans 6, for instance, and many other places where we're considered to be slaves. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, here it talks about um, we have this body. This body is to be a temple and, and such. In verse 20 it says, For you were bought at a price. That's what redemption, one of the pictures, if you can have a word picture here set up, it's being bought. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price. He bought you. The perfect price. Now, chapter 7, verse 23, Paul uses it again. It says, you were bought at a price. Second time. In two chapters, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. <laughs> You've already been bought out of a bondage. Don't uh, let men come in and put you into some kind of a bondage because I've set you free. You've become slaves of me, but uh, that's that's a much better deal to be slaves of Christ, isn't it? And Paul prided himself. Uh, how often did he say, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ? Uh What's that? Is that the arrogance that you're talking about? Uh it's Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's following that line where where we're we're buying. If you think of a marketplace, uh ladies don't go just to shop. They go there to buy things. I found that out. No. Don't no. I just thought you go in and you shop, you just shop. And and uh, you know, if you use the word buy, it means well then I'm going to go buy that but no shopping means you're going to go there and you're going to go I don't want to go there if we're just not it's just like I've been told I don't want to go there if I don't have any money at the time you know I'm going to go there I'm going to buy there right well that's Buying in the marketplace. Did I get myself in trouble there, Carolyn? Was that okay? Is that okay? Well, she didn't understand that. Or do you think she really understood it? I'd like to add an amen to that. That Does that sound familiar? I think that's true. That's the way it works. Yeah, you're safe right (laughs) now. (laughs) What is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, chapter
0: seven, verse thirty. Now this may not seem right, but it has uses that word. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess. Buying is is that thought of uh buying in in, uh, in the market. That uh, agarazzo. Then you go to Second Peter chapter two verse one and we're we're just looking at this word agorazo and, and the meaning that uh this definitely implies. Second Peter, second Peter Chapter two, verse one. This this is a tough verse. But that word will be in here. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. It would take an evening to explain this. So, just um, if, if you have, if you ever want to get into that and have some questions on that, uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. But the idea is the word "bought." Uh, there's, a, there's a buying, there's a buying in, in the market there. Uh, same same word, agaradzo. Do one more. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Oh, this is worthy as the Lamb. They sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for You were slain and have redeemed us or agarazod us to God by your blood. Redemption and blood right there is together like it is in Ephesians, like it is very often. So I think something that we can relate to here is we were bought in a market. What kind of market was it? It's was a slave market. We were bought in the slave market. The whole world's a slave market. Now, there's another word that's related to this one, and it has two letters before this. So, it's going to still take on the same meaning with something extra added here. It means to buy out of the marketplace. You buy it, you take it out, and sometimes it means I'm taking it out of there. It will never be there again. And it's related to lotrosis, where it's dealing with loosening them and letting them go. You buy, you get them, you go into the marketplace, you buy out of there, and then there's there's the idea of being set free. And of course, that's where the, uh, the first term really comes into play.
1: It seems to me from looking at these passages that this is a one-time transaction. Um, we are being bought we are being redeemed Um, I I don't understand how people who believe that you can lose your salvation can look at these passages and think that there's an exchange policy you know that that you could be bought back Yeah. by by the world or by the devil or or whatever it seems to me that that these things that we're talking about you were bought there's a finality to it It's it's a transaction that has been completed and it can't be
0: retracted. That's a good point because if he buys something and then he loses it, then he wasn't able to, he bought it, but it's, it's gone now. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, he bought he bought it, it's, it's his. I mean, it's you
3: know, his. We've been bought, we've been purchased. No
0: matter what oh, that yeah. object wants to do,
3: there's no return. Well,
1: that's,
3: yeah. top of Walmart. I think that's a return. the 30 day return policy. <laughs>
1: Well, so goes our
0: To buy out of the slave market. Very related to this. Related to this. And there's one more word for it. And that's where it's coming out of here. Really, it's basically, again, the same word. This is just emphasizing away from. But latrao, which is this, which is a loosening uh, or a, a liberating paying a ransom, and then letting them go. Go back to the ex agarazo. I don't think uh, we did any verses to support that, but uh, go to Galatians, uh, just one book back from Ephesians there. In chapter 3, verse 13, and we'll look at this word, ex agarazo. Christ has redeemed us. There's that word again. That's our key word. This time it's ex <laughs> He bought us out of the slave market, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." Uh, Galatians 3:13. And go to chapter four, verse five. Now you, you remember this Galatians in, in your study, right? You remember talking about this redemption thing. Well, this, verse five. This is this uh, exagorazo again. To exagerazo or to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption. Boy, there are two great words there, aren't there? Redemption and adoption as sons. And a lot of times you'll see these words coming together: redemption and blood, redemption and ad- adoption. Uh, and, and we'll look at these terms in in a few moments. Um, that are all connected with salvation. All the things that happen at one time, but they all have different uh, word pictures. And sometimes there are legal terms that are used. This would be a kind of a legal term here. It's a, it's a market term, but it's, uh, there's, a, there's a buying that goes with it. So are you getting the emphasis that if he comes and buys, what does it imply? Well, we are slaves of sin. If you look back at the Roman Empire... We can understand why Paul used this so often. Uh, 2,000 years removed from this, we don't understand um, slavery and and that whole world, really do we? We're removed from that. But if we see that it's a common thing at that time, buying and selling slaves was a very common thing. Much of uh, the population was a slave population. So they did it just like they bought and sold animals, for instance. Not saying that the people were animals, but it was just like that. Buying and selling, and from time to time, you might have a desire to purchase a slave, and because you knew who that slave was, or you liked that slave, you know what you might do? Some people would actually do this. They would go into the marketplace, (laughs) the slave market, buy them, take them out, and then set them free. That's our ex agarazzo. That's our uh, polytrosis. He's saying, hey, listen, I care about you, and you can just go free. I'm going to give X number of dollars to the owner, and now I can do whatever I want with that slave. I can even set him free. I am sure that probably didn't happen too often. But it did happen, and that's why... Paul will relate to this. I just purchased your freedom. That's right. You can go. Wherever you want. So no longer a slave. You can go free. This is what lutrao is. Lutrosis. Lutrao. And that's the idea. That's the word that is in our text in Ephesians. That's the one that Paul chooses by the Holy Spirit, Uh dealing with going free. So we've already been told we are adopted into the family. Well, how did it happen? Well, we were redeemed. That's how it worked. We were bought out of this situation and set free. That's essentially the, the idea here. That there's a purchase made. Now let's go to John 8 and in verse 34... Remember in John 8. Um, take it up in verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. This will show that you are truly one of mine. You live. You stick around. You minnow in my word. That's, that's the word abide. Bob, does that word sound familiar, hupomeno? to remain, stick around to abide. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if he's saying if you don't know the the truth, what are you? Yeah, you're in bondage, you are a slave. Well, what's their response? Well, they answered and said, "We are Abraham's descendants and we've never been in bondage to anyone." Boy. <laughs> yeah, right. the buzzer goes off right there. I mean, they were right there at that point. You know, they were uh, under the Roman Empire. <laughs> We've never been in bondage to anyone. We're we're Abraham's descendants. Uh, what about the time of Moses and before? <laughs> what's the deal? Although, you know, how can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a." slave of sin. If you show it, your, your inwardness by your outward actions, you're showing that you are a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. One who is really is. Therefore, if the son, capital S, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You notice there's the initiative of God again. If the son makes you free, how can anybody be set free? What's well, the Son of God who does that? Anyway, there's, there's freedom. There's truth. There's freedom. There's Christ all right there. And, and he shows that uh, he's the one that makes you free. He pays the price, he has the purchase price. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Still looking at the idea of being slaves. 617, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So there you have slavery and you have deliverance. And it was the doctrine, the truth, Right? Doctrine, truth, same thing. Jesus had already said that. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And He says that you have to be set free by Him. The Son is the one who sets you free. So the Son is the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. You were slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine, that's where it comes from, is saving... uh, Faith comes from the the gospel and, and the truth of His word. You were delivered. So, it, it definitely doing more than just implying here that we were we were slaves. Romans seven. A lot of people would be offended at the idea of being slaves because it means well we don't have freedom. You know that whole idea of the freedom of the will. Hmm. <laughs> kind of takes that away, doesn't it? Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I'm under that bondage of sin. Chapter 8, verse 21. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption... Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There again, a bondage, a corruption. Now, all of creation is because of man's sin. Okay. So we've stressed that. Yeah?
3: Romans 8 2. The law of the Spirit of life has set me free from hmm. the law of sin and death. Would be the exaggeration there? Or...
0: Has made me free? I think that's the idea, but I wished I knew what the word was there. But that's definitely the same idea. That's 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 the picture. Because we were under the law, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. According to, at the end of chapter 7, we were in, were in some kind of a, a, a bondage there. Uh, the law of sin at the end. But then he says there's no condemnation. And verse 2 then says... We've been made free from the law of sin and death. That's definitely the whole idea of it all. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think that anyone could ever say that they can make themselves Christians. Because if you're a slave, you have no right to do that. To do anything. To do anything that you'd like to do. But we see that it all starts with God. And He came to do something for us. And he did it. Elder.
4: Well, there's a further, carry this on a little bit further, what you read in chapter 6 of Romans. You'd be freed from sin, but you had become slaves of righteousness. You're still a slave. Mm -hmm. But you belong to a different person. Different man. Yeah. And uh, that's right. you present your members as slaves to righteousness. Uh, we're not free to do whatever we want. We've come from one kind of bondage to, you could almost say, another kind of bondage in that we belong to Christ.
0: It's a good bondage, isn't it? Yeah,
4: we're, it, we're a slave of His. you never can be free uh, liberty. What, uh,
0: what what was Dylan's song? you got to serve somebody?
4: <laughs>
0: You're either a slave of sin
3: Slave of righteousness. One of the other guy bought he purchased the slave and he set him free. But he would still be underneath that man would still be have the right to that that's like he was free. Or would he be a legal
0: thing? Uh, the picture that. probably breaks that. I mean yeah. yeah, I mean he'd go out after that guy about a couple of years later, Hey hey, remember I yeah, set, he set you free
3: yeah. Yeah. Well, I was bought by yeah, was Right. Bought by
0: yeah. The, the fact of the matter, he was still set free by him. So. But, uh, yeah. So
3: we have isn't, two... Okay, go ahead. Isn't it like, you know, we were a plague of sin, which is a sad thing, and we we're a plague of Christ. He sets us free, and like Paul says, we give our life willingly back to him. Right, that's not right. Uh,
0: and, 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 of course, the the willingly part is that he has broken our will to stay where we were at. We we think it's we think we're we're uh we're in pretty good shape. We don't know how much in bondage we really are. But he's the one that now gives us the freedom to act upon that. Uh he has given us the power, the grace, to now want to serve him, whereas before we didn't. And so willingly the the, the thing is he he has put that into us. Now we desire to do that. So now we have the free will to do the obedience. Now, And the thing is, if one is a Christian, they now have the ability to serve Christ. Do we always do that? No. But we definitely have the ability, we have the power, we have the strength, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. If we don't obey Him now, um, we have no excuse because we can do that, whereas before we couldn't. So yeah, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Hmm?
4: I, got, I got another, of course. Uh, in your first paragraph, there talking about redemption. A couple of times, you you said we were liberated, procured by a payment of a ransom. Ransom's always paid to somebody. Who was the ransom paid to?
0: Well, and I remember.
4: And yeah. I know that's not right, but right. It was paid to the devil to buy
0: it. That's not right. I heard that for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And and that is not true at all. I know that's not right. true. Right. The um, well, if the law's demands have now been met, they were paid for. The father is pleased with what the son has done, so the demand of the law is what? Perfection. The price was paid by the blood of Christ which is what was the demand was.
3: So, so ransom was actually paid to
0: the father. is that how we term it? I
4: think that's a poor of word. How
0: how do we term that? Ransom. What the word ransom?
2: Yeah.
0: Not really, it's biblical. Um I know what you mean. If you if we take it in our terminology in our English today, the way that we look at that.
2: Version,
0: yeah. 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 Uh the biblical term, and of course that's why we have to kind of qualify that right. Let go go to uh Mark Mark twenty uh, uh it might be Matthew twenty. 20,
2: 20. Yeah. Matthew.
0: Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's, again, it's it's paying the price for. Uh, doing the blood. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, as he was killed, the blood was shed. Um, and as that happened, the ransom was then made. Um, that's redemption. Redemption, ransom are uh, connected together. That would be being bought. Being paid for, and it's not, and like I say, it's it's not buying it from Satan to get out of his bondage. Satan wouldn't. I don't care what kind of price you give. It's not dealing with him anyway. It's it's God's um, demand, um, the perfection so the of the law. Of is yeah. yeah.
1: The law demands
4: the
0: payment. Yeah. So
4: that's a just. Just, uh, but that's not a ransom. The law demands payment.
0: You say it that
1: way, that's not. That's just a wage ransom, is it? Let's see, I think. um, It's like you're in the
0: back row. Was the father pleased with what the son did? Yes. yes. Uh, And I think we're kind of moving into this he's satisfied We're getting. and what's the doctrinal term for that and we're kind of moving into that area what's that close
1: because
0: that's connected it's propitiation he's appeased he's satisfied the payment has been made the the just demand of the law of course God's law is perfect you know that's part of who God is
1: is there a Greek word for for ransom
0: uh, I think what we have there is Lutron. the Lutron. Lutron. Price of release. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Price of release often used as
3: money paid to
1: release slaves.
0: So it's it's releasing a slave.
3: Okay.
0: The payment's been made. It's
3: just ransom. Just ransom simply means the price.
0: Yeah. A lot of times we think of account a, account a, a kidnapping or right. something, yeah. right? Yeah. It's got yeah. a
3: bad connotation now, but but. The word ransom just means
0: price, a price that's owed. Yeah. All um, matter of fact, that's right. A a lot of these words that we were using, we kept saying a purchase price Mm -hmm. and all that. That's the best way to probably look at that. I think sometimes we get hung up in the way that we might use that. You know, it's close, but it's not quite the same. Yeah. So you have two concepts
1: of work here. One, you have to give uh, Audrey credit for it because two verse one, when she said, "I was dead." And Jesus made me alive. So there's, you know, dead men don't make decisions. Yeah. And slaves do not make themselves free.
0: Exactly. I think that is always a good way to approach somebody who has difficulty, like we all did, (coughs) with the idea of me not choosing God. Uh, because they'll say, well, I chose him. Well, yeah, you did, but what did he have to do first before you, you, can, you can choose him? You know, if you can get on that level, that, that, those pictures are great. Uh, a dead man cannot respond. A slave can't do anything out of, out of freedom uh, on his own. Those are great illustrations. And any time you use human words, language, even though this is God's word, it's perfect in everything. When we use that, sometimes we run into uh, we're going to run into uh, a wall. Certain times, a way that may, maybe people might understand what we're trying to say. But Scripture uses so many illustrations. Those two are are really good. How many times have you been able to use those to explain? And uh, you know, they say, well, well, that is right. A lot of times they'll say that. You know, you ask them, well, if you're dead, can you respond? They'll go, well, well, no. Well, Ephesians says we were dead. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's just letting God's work talk. Um, matter of fact, it'd be good to get into those legal terms. Might want to use another verse or two dealing with this being bought by our master. We did the 1 Corinthians 6, right? We did our Matthew. Um, look in First Timothy 2 6. Again, this is Paul's language that he uses. He loved to use uh, this terminology. And here again, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This is Christ, and he's talking about him being a mediator. Him being the mediator paid the price. The purchase was made. Did we do Galatians? Well, we didn't do Galatians one four. We did a couple of Galatians verses. Let's go all the way back to Galatians one four. Boom, he, he starts hitting it pretty hard and heavy, but in verse three he talks about grace and peace. In verse four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. There's, again, the same thing about bringing us out of that situation that we're in, that bondage and that imprisonment. Uh, Go to Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, the, the idea here of delivering is a rescue. That's a good theological term too, deliverance. It's so connected with what we're talking about because he, we came from a power of darkness. Ultimately, you know, sin. But He, he took us out of that. Um, he, he brought us out of that. He rescued us. He drew to Himself. That's, that's a thought of delivered. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So He took us out of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son. brought us into that in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That sounds like Ephesians 1, doesn't it? Verse 7. There you have redemption, blood, forgiveness. Connected together. Okay, now. Let's go to a few legal terms that help us with um, what salvation is and get a a more rounded picture here. These are like courtroom terms. We're all familiar with justification, right? And we know that that means to be declared righteous. Who is declared righteous? The one who is accused. And we're accused rightly, because we are sinners, but we're declared righteous. Righteous. Even though we're not, we're declared righteous now and we're righteous in Christ, though. So that's the first legal term that you think of that is connected with kind of like what we're talking about tonight. It's an acquittal. Being, you know, again, uh, you're set free. When you're acquitted, now you're being declared free. Um, So it's a courtroom term. It's when somebody was acquitted of a crime. Somebody had a crime, they were acquitted. Uh, It's, that's Bible justification. Somebody is justified. So there is dikaiosis. That's the Greek word. Paul uses that a lot, doesn't he? Another one that he uses is forgiveness. And that will be the word that's uh, used in verse 7 here tonight. The word is ephemi. Ha- I think you have these on your sheets, right? This is where you have the debtor Receiving the cancellation of sin. His sin has been canceled. Okay, we've had the picture of of this whole bondage thing and us being taken out of that. Justified goes right along with it with another angle where you're in court, you're declared righteous. Here we are forgiven. And so that's another thing that happens. That means the debt is canceled and let's say if somebody was in court and there was a lawsuit and they're wrangling about it in court and there's a judgment made and the judge says, you don't owe anything. Your debt is canceled. Retribution has, has been made. Whatever. It's it's done. Uh, the price has been paid. Let's say somebody went and paid the price for him. Of course, the best picture is where you have the judge coming off of the stand, taking another position, and then paying the price for that one who was on trial there. Uh, But we translate this into the Bible as forgiveness. So we have terms that Paul used that were used in the courtroom. And he uses those quite frequently. Justified, forgiven. So that word forgiven really was a term that would be used for court. Another one, that is another legal term. This is what happened to us. We were justified. We were forgiven. Another word is adoption, which we've already kind of seen in verse uh, 5, uh, adopted uh, as sons of God. Now, in an adopted in adoption, you have huio, which is um, a son, thasia, huio thasia. This is where you have a stranger, Someone who is totally outside, and he's made a son into that family. There's another picture. But to do that, it was another courtroom procedure that would have to be done. It was a legal term. Um, So we're running into a lot of legalese here that really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Kind of gives us some pictures. Different things that happen to us, but that's adoption. Uh, a, a family would go to court to adopt a child. So the Bible now takes that term and uses it as sonship. We were adopted into the family. One more word. Reconciliation. That is a word that would be used in a court. Catalasso. And the, here is where you have the enemy who is made a friend. And God is the one who makes that enemy to be a friend of his. So we have a debtor having his sin canceled. We ha- And that's uh, dealing with forgiveness, right? In justification, you're declared righteous even though you weren't. You're being adopted even though you were a perfect stranger in the sense that you didn't know him, right? And then you're reconciled. You were an enemy. Romans 5 says we were enemy sinners. So, uh, uh, you have a reconciliation at court. You have a divorce proceeding that's going. And then, let's say, two fighting factions here. And they're brought into a suit. And then somehow a reconciliation is brought about where the two get back together again. And that's a courtroom reconciliation. That's exactly what Paul uses. That's the terminology that would have been used specifically in court. Translates it puts it into Scripture and we say, oh, I know what justified means. I know what forgiveness means. I know what adoption means. I know what reconciliation means. And then tonight in Ephesians, he uses the term that is a marketplace term. Marketplace. Courtroom. He uses those analogies, those pictures to help us get a little bit of a, uh, I guess you can say, a a view of what happened all at this time. How did God do this? All those terms, it's kind of like taking a, a diamond and seeing the different facets of that diamond. Great glory it. That. that's what salvation is. It has so many of these kind of terms to, to see what happens. So redemption is just one way to view the meaning of what salvation is. You can't just say salvation is just redemption. That's nice. That's great. It's fantastic. We're spending a whole night <laughs> on the word redemption, but it's not just that, is it? It's many other things. So he brought us from the slavery of sin. So we'll go back to Ephesians. A lot of, a lot of things happen. In him, in Christ. We have this redemption. Now, thinking about the way that a, a person in the Roman world would be thinking about what redemption is, hopefully that can kind of help clarify it a little bit better if you were to think on the terms that they'd be thinking. And, and we, we said the courtroom terms. Uh, here it's what? The marketplace, right? Through his blood. Okay, you go in the marketplace, what does he use to buy? Blood. The Blood. The cost. I think Leviticus 17:11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood the blood of Christ he gave us life because he gave his life and his uh, whenever he died that blood was shed and it wasn't just about dying but it just wasn't about just uh, blood either like pricking uh, yourself uh, with a with a pin and a little blood squirting out could Jesus have done that and paid for our sins? No, he had to die. But it just wasn't a death, it was and that's why so often you'll see the, the blood. But it was a violent death, wasn't it? Blood was shed, just like the blood was shed by the animals in, in the old testament. So let's take a few scriptures and uh look at uh some some bloody scriptures. <laughs> that sounds so um probably terrible to most people, right?
2: British? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's bloody funny.
0: <laughs> we just don't hear that in America too much, do we? Bloody. ten four. Huh? For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And then he's going to talk about Christ, but His blood that's that's the idea, the blood of bulls and goats, and he's relating to the Old Testament, right, but we know the blood of Christ that sacrifice of him is what is going to uh make that payment. the offering if you look at verse ten by by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all his his- um his his body offering up his whole self his his death is the idea. Uh, Matthew twenty six. We were in twenty six twenty earlier. Go all the way to verse twenty eight. Everybody knows this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. For the remission of sins, there he's talking about the cup, and it's representing uh, what he was going to do as he died, and, and that that blood. This is the, the you know, covenant has to be sealed. Uh, there has to be a, a blood um, sealing with the blood. So, my blood of the new covenant, it shed for the remission of sins, the taking away of sin, expiating the sins. Go to First Peter one eighteen and nineteen. Uh, famous verse here. And our topic right at the moment is blood, right? Knowing that you were not redeemed, there's our word redeemed, right? With corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by perdition from your fathers, but with the... What were you redeemed with? The precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb, without blemish, without spot. There he's comparing it to the lamb back in the Old Testament. Just like a lamb was without blemish, he was without blemish. We were bought and uh, redeemed with this precious blood of Christ. Blood. Revelation 5, kind of looked in that area earlier. Let's emphasize it again. Now, when he had taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Remember the word redeemed? Now, as we see that, we see the connection. Redeemed. How? How did he pay for it? Well, with his blood. Not with silver or gold, as Peter said, but with his blood. We were bought. Romans 3. This is a great text. We haven't gone here tonight, but we can't walk out of here without going to that place. Romans 3, 24 and 25. It really sums up the gospel very well, just like our Ephesians 1, 7. And here are big words here great doctrinal terms, being justified, there's the word we were talking about earlier, declared righteous, freely, by His grace. How? Through the, what's the word? Redemption. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. God was pleased. He was appeased. By his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Justified, redeemed, propitiated by the blood. Great doctrinal terms, aren't they?
3: I wonder why NIV doesn't use propitiation.
0: Good point. Do they use expiation there? Atonement. Atonement. Okay. Atonement. Related to that, but there is an issue on it because, especially in around the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a, a debate going. I don't know if it's really a debate, but I, a lot of people were bothered by the word propitiation because it meant an appeasement. It meant God is satisfied with the Son having to die on the cross. uh, Liberal theology had a lot to do with that term being pushed aside and not used. That's why we don't hear the word propitiation much anymore, except by some of the writers today of Reformed tradition... (laughs) who are now starting to bring that whole idea of what atonement is and the price that it was paid and what it did to the Father. And propitiation is a very key word. It seems technical. And sometimes the RSV, uh, which was actually done by mostly liberal theologians, the RSV, which then was translated to the NRSV later, will use the word expiation, but not propitiation. Expiation is good, and there's places for that, but it just means the sin was taken away. You can say, well, I don't see any problem with the Father being satisfied. Well, many do, because that's an offense to them that God, the Father, would demand this price, and then He was pleased to crush His Son, as it says in Isaiah 53. Do You see, it hits at the heart of the Gospel. The atonement is where it's all at. And and the word atonement is okay, but the accurate word there, atonement means covering. And it is associated with it, but there is a slight, but very meaningful, translated word there that can mean more. It's, it's tied together, the atonement of the Old Testament sacrifice, but it's, there's a propitiation that, that extends even more. Now, did I confuse you? <laughs> Is that okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Well,
1: and also, the, old church, the sin was never actually taken away. It was just covered. Mm-hmm.
0: And the mercy was, seat. Would,
1: and then with, with Christ's death on the cross, it actually took its away. Exactly. It yeah. goes back to our study
0: in the late nineties in Hebrews
1: here
2: at Alton. The late nineties. we're never getting to the rig we going to Ephesians. That'd be okay.
0: Lord wants to come back, that's just fine. I'm sure he could explain this a lot better than I could. I'll tell you I know he can. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians two thirteen but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of christ, the blood of christ- we were brought near because of the blood back to hebrews nine twelve blood, blood again. Bloody scriptures. Liberal theologians don't like to talk about the blood, by the way. Matter of fact, the whole idea of the sacrifice is really very offensive to them. Remember the cross is offensive to people? Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal, what? Redemption. Connected again. And there again, he talks about the blood of the animals and compares it then to the blood of Christ, his death, redemption. Once for all thing. Chapter 10, verse 19. I think we might have read that earlier. I believe we did. Uh, yeah, blood of calves and, and such. Um, oh, we've got to do 1 John 1, 7. That would be good to do. That's about the blood. That's about uh, confession of sin. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have been saved. We have been forgiven. The price has already been paid, but it keeps on being paid. As you are in Christ now, the blood continues pay for that. It's already been done but in this sense as we have fellowship uh, an ongoing relationship with Christ, we're being cleansed. It's like Peter um, having his um, his feet washed. He didn't want Jesus to do that and Jesus was saying well if you don't do this you have no part of me. <laughs> it's an every- everyday cleansing. uh We've already been bought and paid for. That one-time action is done, but we need to be cleansed on a constant uh, constant basis. It's all on Him. So that was kind of representing that. Yeah, Phil. Well,
1: what's interesting is that the NIV in this particular instance takes it a step further, which it didn't in other instances and, takes, and uses the word purified.
0: Uh, let's see. That's in... In,
1: in First John 7 and
0: the blood of Jesus it then
1: purifies us from all the
0: okay yeah that's yeah. good yeah I like that yeah because that's what it does It, it there's a purification done that yeah uh, Revelation 1 5 and uh, again about the blood all sorts of blood uh, verses we're only just using a few um Yeah, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He washes us by his blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So anyway, that's that's a few things dealing with... uh, the scripture on it, but it definitely brings into the atonement. It's all connected together. All these words come together. You have atonement, which you have expiation. The day of atonement was a great picture of expiation. You have the two goats. One of them is the scapegoat. And the scapegoat is sent out or sent away from the camp out into the wilderness. And he is taking the sin and bearing it, taking it away. As far as the east is from the west, That's what that goat is doing. The other goat is—he's getting killed, sacrificed, and that blood again—that's representing the sins there. And but uh, the sin is also taken away. That's expiation. To be "ex" means out, doesn't it? So to be taken out. Propitiation is where it's not just where the sin is taken out, but God is pleased. Sin had to be punished. This is what God demands because he's just, because he is righteous. The design, the whole purpose of the sacrifices is to propitiate God.
3: So is the offensive part of that to people just because they think our God is a loving God and what Father would want that done to their son, is that how it's offensive?
0: Yeah. And you'll remember, uh, old, might have been even before, but 50s, maybe 60s and 70s, a lot of the hymns started to be changed. Do you guys remember that? Where they started taking the blood out of the hymn books. And a lot of the, uh, well, you could say the uh, liberal churches anyway. Blood of Jesus, I did you ever remember hearing very much about the blood? Of blood of Christ?
3: Oh, you yeah, had to drink it.
0: Yeah, but like, we, we drank it, but we <laughs> didn't sleep about it. We were We What is that transubstantiation? Yeah. Well, the propitiation was secured as a result of the expiation. So that's where the two are connected together. The expiation that's taken out, now you can have the propitiation where the, the father is um, satisfied. Then you have another word, vicarious. Anybody care to take a stab at what vicarious means?
3: That's like, like vicarious learning is something you don't really know you're picking up on or that you're learning at the time.
0: Okay, or let's see.
3: You're, you're learning about one thing, but you're learning other things. At the, it's hard to think it's like watching somebody else <laughs> like doing something, and you learn from. It.
0: Okay, in the place of, right? In the place so what we're saying, yeah. Have you seen this word before? We'll just use your term. What's term term a term 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 vicar, term vicar
3: Barb? Substitutionary. What?
0: Yeah, it's substitutionary.
3: That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's right. Vicar is somebody in a Catholic church, and the other churches. Is that what it is? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's
0: in the place of Christ. He's he's substituting Christ's place here on the earth, the, the vicar or the, what, the pope? Uh,
3: he the he's a substitute?
0: <laughs> isn't, he, isn't he on the other side of the booth
3: whenever you're doing confession? The vicar? Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Would he be called a vicar too? I don't know. It, okay.
3: Wouldn't it be? He's, he's the one forgiving you, basically. Yeah. He says, I forgive you. Yeah. Okay. Then, so I guess so. I've never been to a And they don't really use the booth that much anymore either, okay. face-to-face now. Face-to-face. Yeah. No, You You go, look in the eye and tell them how awful you are. Well, actually, oh, oh, I, so. I like that better sometimes <laughs> because then oh. you knew they weren't sitting behind the curtain rolling your eyes at you. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Laughing. Yeah. yeah. No. Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> <They're gone. laughs> yes. uh, yeah. You might be able to still do
0: it for you know some of the people who grew up that way and like it that way. Yeah. The atonement, the covering of sin, is actually expiated. It's taken out. It's propitiated. It's substitutionary. Or vicarious, Vicarious or substitutionary atonement. Sacrificial, substitutionary atonement. There are a lot of books coming out today in defense of that doctrine. This is the heart of the gospel, what we've just been talking about. People have attacked the substitutionary, sacrificial atonement. I'm not talking about people from the outside of the body of Christ. People that are so-called within the body of Christ. And there's a publisher called um, Crossway, which is really putting out some very good books, and it's dealing with the atonement. J.I. Packer wrote a book on the atonement several, I don't know, decades ago probably, and it was redone, and uh, Mark Dever did it along with J.I. Packer and updated it. Uh, Very good book dealing with atonement. They'll be talking about substitution and expiation and propitiation, the whole idea of the atonement. That is the heart, the very centrality of the gospel. Once you lose that, you have no gospel. And why is it that people are having to defend the atonement? Well, just like any other doctrine, people are going to chip away till they finally try to knock it out. If you take out the heart of the gospel, you have nothing. That's what's in the liberal churches today. You really have no gospel. You have a social gospel.
3: Because it's hard to swallow some
0: of it. Yeah, that's It's very offensive. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So that's why when we talk about it to us, this is nothing really new. This is just old hat. Well, the gospel is old hat. And the moment it, it turns into something totally new that's foreign, we're in trouble. But it's neat to see different facets and different angles of it. And that's why we keep looking at that and, and making it anchor into us because if you hear of somebody kind of like chipping away and say, well, oh, that sounds kind of funny. This is, doesn't sound right. When they start talking about the atonement in a different way or whatever, there is a, a New Age teaching called at one-met. Atonement. Has anybody heard of that before? You've seen that, right? Yeah, it's getting, realizing the God in you, uh, coming to like in Eastern religions uh, or in Hinduism, for instance, coming to Nirvana or in yourself as you're living, coming to to peace, and it doesn't involve sin whatsoever. Matter of fact. Uh, many of these cults and uh, Eastern religions and such, they'll say there's no such thing as sin. What your problem is, is, is um, M. Scott Peck said, your problem is not sin. There's no such thing as sin. Your, your problem is laziness. Laziness to not find out that you are God. <laughs> he wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. Remember that one? A lot of churches were endorsing that book. That's the kind of thought that was out there. Anyway, we'd better close with that. Guess what? We didn't get to forgiveness of sins tonight and the riches of His grace. Well, we'll skip those doctrines and move to verse 8 next time. No. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get into that part. But thank you guys for bearing with me. But I just can't just pass these by. These are so precious and great truths. Thank you for sticking with me here.